0: Book five, chapter nine of one of ours. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Tom Weiss. One of ours by Willa Cather. Chapter nine. The following night, Claude was sent back to division headquarters at Kew with information the colonel did not care to commit to paper. He set off at ten o'clock with Sergeant Hicks for escort. There had been two days of rain, and the communication trenches were almost knee-deep in water. About half a mile back of the front line the two men crawled out of the ditch and went on above ground. There was very little shelling along the front that night. When a flare went up they dropped and lay on their faces, trying at the same time to get a squint at what was ahead of them. The ground was rough and the darkness thick. It was past midnight when they reached the east and west road usually full of traffic, and not entirely deserted even on a night like this. Trains of horses were splashing through the mud, with shells on their backs, empty supply wagons were coming back from the front. Claude and Hicks paused by the ditch, hoping to get a ride. The rain began to fall with such violence that they looked about for shelter. Stumbling this way and that, they ran into a big artillery piece, the wheels sunk over the hubs in a mud-hole. "'Who's there?' called a quick voice, unmistakably British. "'American infantrymen, two of us. Can we get onto to one of your trucks till this lets up? Oh, certainly. We can make room for you in here, if you're not too big. Speak quietly, or you'll waken the major.' Giggles and smothered laughter. A flashlight winked for a moment and showed a line of five trucks the front and rear ones covered with tarpaulin tents. The voices came from the shelter next the gun. The men inside drew up their legs and made room for the strangers, said they were sorry they hadn't anything dry to offer them except a little rum. The intruders accepted this gratefully. The Britishers were a giggly lot, and Claude thought from their voices they must all be very young, They joked about their major as if he were their schoolmaster. There wasn't room enough on the truck for anybody to lie down, so they sat with their knees under their chins and exchanged gossip. The gun team belonged to an independent battery that was sent about over the country, wherever needed. The rest of the battery had got through, gone on to the east, but this big gun was always getting into trouble. Now something had gone wrong with her tractor and they couldn't pull her out. They called her Jenny, and said she was taken with fainting fits now and then, and had to be humored. "'It was like going about with your grandmother,' one of the Invisible Tommies said. "'She is such a pompous old thing.' The Major was asleep on the rear truck. He was going to get the V.C. for sleeping. More giggles. No, they hadn't any idea where they were going. Of course the officers knew, but artillery officers never told anything." what was this country like anyhow they were new to this part had just come down from verdure claude said he had a friend in the air service up there did they happen to know anything about victor morse morse the american ace hadn't he heard why that got into the london papers morse was shot down inside the hun line 3 weeks ago it was a brilliant affair he was chased by eight boche planes brought down three of them, put the rest to flight, and was making for base when they turned and got him. His machine came down in flames and he jumped, fell a thousand feet or more. Then I suppose he never got his leave, Claude asked. They didn't know. He got a fine citation. The men settled down to wait for the weather to improve or the night to pass. Some of them fell into a doze, but Claude felt wide awake. He was wondering about the flat in Chelsea, whether the heavy-eyed beauty had been very sorry or whether she was playing Roses of Picardy for other young officers. He thought mournfully that he would never go to London now. He had quite counted on meeting Victor there some day, after the Kaiser had been properly disposed of. He had really liked Victor. There was something about that fellow, a sort of debauched baby he was who went seeking his enemy in the clouds. What other age could have produced such a figure? That was one of the things about this war. It took a little fellow from a little town, gave him an air and a swagger, a life like a movie film, and then a death like the Rebel Angels. A man like Gerhardt, for instance, had always lived in a more or less rose-colored world. He belonged over here, really how could he know what hard molds and crusts the big guns had broken open on the other side of the sea? Who could ever make him understand how far it was from the strawberry bed and the glass cage in the bank to the sky roads over Verdure? By three o'clock the rain had stopped. Claude and Hicks set off again, accompanied by one of the gun team who was going back to get help for their tractor. As it began to grow light the two Americans wondered more and more at the extremely youthful appearance of their companion. When they stopped at a shell-hole and washed the mud from their faces, the English boy, with his helmet off and the weather stains removed, showed a countenance of adolescent freshness, almost girlish. Cheeks like pink apples, yellow curls above his forehead, long soft lashes. "'You haven't been over here very long, have you?' Claude asked in a fatherly tone, as they took the road again. "'I came out in sixteen. I was formerly in the infantry.' The Americans liked to hear him talk. He spoke very quickly in a high piping voice. "'How did you come to change?' "'Oh, I belonged to one of the PAL battalions, and we got cut to pieces. When I came out of the hospital I thought I'd try another branch of the service, seeing my PALs were gone.' "'Now just what is a pal battalion?' drawled Hicks. He hated all English words he didn't understand, though he didn't mind French ones in the least. "'Fellows who signed up together from school,' the lad piped. Hicks glanced at Claude. "'They both thought this boy ought to be in school for some time yet, and wondered what he looked like when he first came over.' "'And you got cut up, you say?' he asked sympathetically. "'Yes, on the song.' we had rotten luck. We were sent over to take a trench and couldn't. We didn't even get to the wire. The Hun was so well prepared that time we couldn't manage it. We went over a thousand, and we came back seventeen. A hundred and seventeen? No, seventeen. Hicks whistled and again exchanged looks with Claude. They could neither of them doubt him, There was something very unpleasant about the idea of a thousand fresh-faced schoolboys being sent out against the guns. "'It must have been a fool order,' he commented. "'Suppose there was some mistake at headquarters?' "'Oh, no. Headquarters knew what it was about. We'd have taken it if we'd had any sort of luck. But the Hun happened to be full of fight. His machine-guns did for us.' "'You were hit yourself?' Claude asked him. "'In the leg.' He was popping away at me all the while, but I wriggled back on my tummy. When I came out of the hospital my leg wasn't strong and there's less marching in the artillery. I should think you've had about enough. Oh, a fellow can't stay out after all his chums have been killed. He'd think about it all the time, you know," the boy replied in his clear treble. Claude and Hicks got into headquarters just as the cooks were turning out to build their fires, One of the corporals took them to the officer's bath, a shed with big tin tubs, and carried away their uniforms to dry them in the kitchen. It would be an hour before the officers would be about, he said, and in the meantime he would manage to get clean shirts and socks for them. "'Say, Lieutenant,' Hicks brought out as he was rubbing himself down with a real bath towel, "'I don't want to hear any more about those pal battalions, do you? It gets my goat, so long as we were going to get into this.' We might have been a little more previous. I hate to feel small. Guess we'll have to take our medicine, Claude said dryly. There wasn't anywhere to duck, was there? I felt like it. Nice little kid. I don't believe American boys ever seem as young as that. Why, if you'd met him anywhere else, you'd be afraid of using bad words before him, he's so pretty. What's the use of sending an orphan asylum out to be slaughtered? I can't see it, grumbled the fat sergeant. Well, it's their business. I'm not going to let it spoil my breakfast. Suppose we'll draw ham and eggs, Lieutenant? End of Book 5 Chapter 9 Recording by Tom Weiss